0: Onyx Hunt is our go-to solution for anything mapping related, whether we're at the house or in the field, whether we're using the tracking feature in order to kind of figure out exactly where we're going in and out of the woods, to also implementing the new cell camera feature where you can actually link your different cell cameras that you may have from different brands and be able to get all those photos sent directly through the Onyx app, where you can actually see them on your maps and be able to go through all your photos right there in one place. You can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 20% on your Onyx onyx membership onyx has been extremely helpful for us the last six years and i'm sure it'll be helpful for you so know where you stand with onyx
1: look y'all know the drill good optics are a must whether you're running a red dot sight on your turkey gun or you're running some binos this turkey season or if you're shopping for a new rifle scope vortex optics needs to be the first place you look they got something for everybody whether you're wanting to get some entry-level glass or if you're wanting top-of-the-line glass and really good stuff they got that too they also have an unbeatable vip warranty if something happens to your vortex optic you can send it in they will fix it or replace it best warranty in the business bar none Head on over to MidwayUSA.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN to get a discount on your order of any Vortex product. Again, that's MidwayUSA.com. Go use that promo code SOUTHERN. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the show.
0: Meadow Creek Mounts is your go-to mounting option for red dots on your turkey shotgun. And one of my favorite features about this mount is you don't have to drill and tap your shotgun in order to mount a red dot onto your shotgun. I personally have used this mount the last two seasons, and it's worked extremely well for me. One thing I personally like about it is because it's so low onto the barrel when it mounts to the rib of your shotgun, it allows for a very natural head positioning when shouldering your gun. Also, an advantage of using a red dot compared to maybe just a traditional bead on your shotgun is you get a much more clear view of the turkey and you're able to kind of see what else is around there and making sure you're perfectly on that bird. Now, if you're interested in giving Meadow Creek Mounts a try, you can go over to the website meadowcreekmounts.com and use the code SOUTHERN at checkout to be able to save 10% on your order. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast you can check us out on facebook instagram and youtube if you'd like to support the show you can go to patreon.com forward slash the southern Outdoorsman. now let's get to the episode
1: presented by hunting exchange a marketplace for serious hunters by serious hunters
0: All right, guys, welcome back to another listener success story episode from the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. I'm going to say it right at the beginning. I've been forgetting to say that the last few listener success stories, but make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Uh, Again, I thoroughly enjoy doing these listener success stories and uh, talking to some of our guests like our guest today, Randy. Randy Madden from East Texas. Randy, how are you doing, brother?
2: Man, I am blessed, blessed beyond measure. How about you?
0: Uh, doing well, doing well. Um, almost almost as well as you, my I man. You get two bucks down. We're going to talk about it in just a little bit. But, again, these listener success stories is something I thoroughly enjoy because – we get to kind of highlight, you know, these listeners, Randy, like yourself, who's had success, things that you've kind of learned from the show and kind of putting things together and just kind of becoming maybe, you know, hopefully our goal is to be a more well-rounded woodsman and and hunter um, than maybe previously before. So uh, Randy, to kind of kick us off, you know, first off, you know, how long have you been a listener of the podcast and what got you to start listening to the show?
2: Man, uh, it's probably been a year, maybe a little more um basically i just i stumbled across the podcast i'm not sure how if it was on youtube or facebook or something but i was the typical guy just hunting public land and struggling not having much success the success i was having was you know kind of limited but i just knew there had to be more and so i was digging deeper digging deeper than the pot you know found y'all's podcast and uh jumped down the rabbit hole i mean it's been a journey.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you something that's funny. Um, it, well, I'll say it's funny. It, it's something that throws me off when we look at our analytics of where listeners are, like, kind of our largest area of listeners. Texas, and spe- specifically East Texas, is, I think, number three or four in the list of, like, most popular states for our listeners, which is very surprising. Like I, really? I, yeah, I find mm. that very surprising. Uh, cause I guess, you know, being, you know, from a guy from, you know, Alabama, when I think of the deep South, I'll be honest, you know, Texas, East Texas doesn't come to mind, but be honest, it's, it's very similar habitat to everything else we're dealing with around here. So, uh, yeah, I
2: think so. Um, you know, listen to a lot of other guys, you know, the habitat sounds the same. I think our biggest downfall is deer numbers. You know, we're, um, uh, decently length season, you know, it's three months or so, uh, five tags per hunter. And there are some antler restrictions and whatnot, but, but then you have the MLD, and the MLD, that run for months and months, and I think it's had a huge impact on our numbers. So we're pretty low number on uh, deer population, but uh, the public land gets hammered pretty hard, too, so I wouldn't have expected that. I mean, I would, I would have thought most of your big buck killers, you know, stories and stuff are all from the you know, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio, stuff like that, so...
0: Yeah no, East Texas and just Texas in general showing out. So shout out to all you uh, Texas listeners listening to the podcast. But uh, Sweet. so awesome. So again, you've been uh, listening for about a year or so and kind of piecing it apart. Again, had been hunting public land previously, but you know, kind of limited success. How long? Or first off, how long have you been hunting public land? And what got you into public land hunting? Was it just kind of a, a needs thing, or is it just something that you just tr- decided to try start doing? Well, you know, most anybody knows anything about
2: Texas. Texas is man it's leased out everything is leased you know it's hard to get owner permission you know big leases stuff like that i mean we call it a prostitution fee i mean everybody pays a high premium for leases around here so just out of necessity i wasn't going to get on a you know high dollar lease you know um so i started hunting public land let's see Probably about six, eight years ago, something like that. I'm terrible at numbers. So um, about six, eight years ago, started hunting public land. And man, I really, really struggled in the first three or four years. I mean, it took me four years to kill a deer on a piece of public land that's 20 minutes from my house. I mean, that's how, how hard it was. And then uh, the, the success I started having was uh, hunting funnels and stuff. Everybody focuses on funnels, focus on funnels. Well, even at hunting funnels… It was only successful during certain windows. Anytime outside of those windows during the rut, I just would not see deer. I mean, I would go six, eight, ten hunts without seeing a single deer. So it became really, really tough. Um, And then when I stumbled on the podcast, let's see, that was about a year, a little over a year ago. Well, a couple years ago, I started reading some books on uh, like uh, the Wenzel brothers and stuff like that. And that really kind of opened my eyes. But then I uh, stumbled on the podcast, and I think it was yeah, it was Josh Driver's episode 141. We talked about that. Talking about terrain, man, it really, really opened my
0: eyes. And, uh, and we'll go into more of that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well I was, was going to say, well, we can actually segue right, right into it, which is, you know, I like to always ask, you know, listeners on, on, you know, these episodes, you know, what have been some of those episodes that have been impactful for you? And, and you would have already mentioned Josh Driver episode 141, which is, a, a seems like a listener favorite, and it's one of our favorites too. When it comes to just overall knowledge and just how much it's impacted people, but I guess we can kind of kick it off there. Just when it comes to episodes, Um, uh, you know, episode one forty one with Josh Driver. That was I think you said it was one of the first episodes you listened to. Yeah, that,
2: I think it st- that one stands out the most because I believe it was the first one. And the thing that stood out the most was talking about terrain, terrain features, um, you know, compounding features, interior edges, stuff like that. Well, a lot of our stuff we hunt. I mean, there's one WMA, like says 20 minutes from my house. Uh, It's probably about 10 miles long, and it's not very wide. It follows the river, and there's probably less than 15 foot of elevation change from one end to the other. So it's really, really hard to find terrain features and uh, elevation changes, stuff like that. But based on that, I started diving in deeper. Um, I think it was Richard fought too, one of his episodes, he was talking about – uh, a red oak ridge. Yeah, it might be two two feet in elevation higher than the rest of the area, and you don't even realize it's a ridge, but it's an actual ridge. So I use that to uh, really kind of break down timber and break down sections. And um, you know, we talked earlier about west Moy talking about learning an area, you know, breaking down one square mile and really really learning that area. So that's what I had to do. You can't focus on you know four thousand acres. You got to focus on five hundred acres and really break that section down. So but the uh, Richard, F- I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Josh Driver, his episode really kind of, we'll get into the the buck, I, the bigger buck I killed this year. Um, that's what led me to that area. It's a different WMA. It's about an hour and a half from my house. And uh, focusing on terrain features, terrain changes, I started looking at topo maps. And that's something I tell, I tell everybody too. You know, new hunters and people talking to me. I said, man, you really got to learn to read topo maps. That um, took a topo map of that area and just started looking for elevation changes looking for draws ridges saddles stuff like that and there's not a whole lot of elevation change but there's slight features you know uh drainages stuff like that that create interior edges and whatnot so i found this one spot last year um and i went in it's kind of a funny story i went in on october 16th of last year and my cousin of mine started hunting with me last year his first year ever bow hunt And, uh, he got, he got his first deer last year on public land with the traditional bow. So super proud of him, but, uh, found the spot on maps and went in, I was late getting there. I went in through river access and I didn't realize that the river was as low as it was. And I had to get out and drag, like, I think it was five times. I had to get out and drag around log jams to get to this spot. And I got there, it was I want to say about 7:45, 8 o'clock by the time I actually got to the spot. Full daylight. I was sweated up. I mean, just bummed out because I thought, yes, yeah, it's just gonna, there's a waste of time. But I had to see it. That's one thing. Everybody tells me I work, I work way harder than I should at killing deer. <laughs> but that's kind of been my motto. You got to outwork everybody else. So. <clears throat> this spot was a couple miles down the river, and like I said, five times getting out dragging dragging the canoe and all my gear around. I got in there and got set up and at eleven thirty I saw a hundred and fifty inch deer at forty-five yards and couldn't kill him. I was hunting traditional bow. Um I've always hunted traditional until this year. Um I'll kind of get into that later too. But so I uh, should have climbed down, should have moved, should have been aggressive, but I was kind of being timid. I didn't want to blow the area out. I saw quite a few deer that morning and saw that 150-inch buck, and then uh, so it was around 11.30. I was texting my buddies and whatnot, and they're like, man, you gotta move, you gotta move. And I was like, well, he went in this thicket, and he was actually pushing a doe on October 16th, which seemed way early to me. And uh, he come back out at around one o'clock and walked to the same exact tree that he had stood by before, and stood there for like five minutes, and then turned and pushed that doe back up in the thicket. And had I moved, I could have killed him. So, like oh man it's one of them things but but richard's fought hit i mean i'm sorry i keep saying richard fought goodness sorry uh josh driver's episode led me to that area so i went back in the spring i didn't get to hunt much last year Um my wife was diagnosed with some uh, health issues last year so it really put a damper on how much i got to hunt but i went back after season was over and i wanted to check another spot and I got in there, the water level had come up, so I was able to paddle right in there. And uh, this other spot, it's a bend, I'm, I'm gonna be kind of vague on my description because I don't want nobody poaching my, my area. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So <clears throat> it's a bend in a river with a, a ridge, and it's probably about 40 foot elevation change right there in this one spot. And uh, I couldn't believe it, I found that on the map, I was like, holy cow! So I knew it had potential, and I went in, and it had a slight saddle in it, and I started scouting them, man, it was just tore up, tore up with rubs, there was horizontal rubs, there's cedars the size of basketballs that are rubbed, there's little cedars rubbed, I mean, every cedar tree within a hundred yard radius, I think, was rubbed, it was insane, and uh, right on top of this ridge, there's a little slight saddle, I think they had been logged, you know, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 years ago, or thinned at least, and uh there's a real slight dip where it looked like they had a logging road there and right on top of that was this big monster scrape with licking branch well, the scrape was covered up with leaves it wasn't being active but the licking branch was still there all the sign was there and i was like holy cow holy cow i knew i'd stumbled onto something good and uh of course told a couple of my buddies about it and whatnot but throughout the rest of the year i just listened to every podcast i could i was listening to Oh, man, I mean, everybody, everybody. Um, So one of the other ones that really struck my interest was uh, Troy Pottinger. When he was talking about monster scrape, he was a master scrape class deal he did. So I actually hit him up. I contacted him and got some of his uh, synthetic stuff, and we talked on the phone a couple times. I described the spot to him, and he's like, dude, he said, you got it because the access is perfect. You know, I'll pop in, paddle in, pop up. I I don't have to go in. 20 30 yards from the river and pop up right there on that ridge and with the right wind he's not going to get downwind so <clears throat> we talked about it and he's like man he said if i was you i would not go in there and really mess it up hey so you can go in there and kind of sweeten it up a little bit but don't go in there and mess it up so i tried to go back it was midsummer sometime i was going to go in there and uh, put hang a camera and use some of his synthetics and kind of sweeten the spot up and i couldn't get to it uh, deadfalls, you know, the river had flooded and more deadfalls and stuff. And I went in with my big boat. I didn't take my canoe that trip because the water was so high, but I still couldn't get in there. So I just left and went back this year, October 16th, one year later to the day. And it was several hundred yards from where I saw that one, that 150 last year. And I was like, man, this is, I I just think this is just, it's going to happen. And one year later to the day, this is going to be the most, you know, epic story I could tell everybody and whatnot. And I got in there, climbed a tree, and I saw a spike. That's it. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I was just bummed, man. <clears throat> so I was, my cousin, he actually hunted. He went in with me. We hunted a lot in the last couple of years. And uh, I'm trying to help him learn some about public land and whatnot. And uh, He had hunted the spot. I saw the 150, and he had saw some does and another smaller spike. The only thing I saw was spike. And I was like, man. I was just bummed, but I knew the sign was there. I knew it had everything a deer needed, and uh, I had taken a camera in with me. So when I climbed down, I walked up there, and I hung a camera on that scrape, and I went ahead and freshened the scrape up and left. And it was – I didn't go back for – well, it was November the 4th. I went back and told Tommy, my cousin, I said, dude, it's it's today because that's another thing. Uh, Bill Vale, his episode talking about uh, uh, learning the lunar calendar stuff with mm-hmm. the new moon and whatnot. It fell on the new moon. I said, "Man, conditions are right. We had the cold front come in, north winds, northeast winds, new moon." Uh, at the very peak of our rut, or you know, the front of our rut, and I was like, "Dude, this this is it." I said, "This is my one shot." And so I went in, and the tree I'd actually picked, I didn't go to. So I, when I started going up the hill, um, climbing it up the hill there, uh, the wind wasn't exactly what I thought it would be It had a little bit more east to it than I thought. I thought, well, man, I can't climb that tree because if they come from that side, you my left side, which would have been the West side, then there's a chance they're going to win me. So I had to back off about 10 yards and I climbed a tree right there. Now I could see the hill where the scrape was, but I was probably 60, 70 yards downwind from that scrape. And, uh, This is where some of the other episodes started coming into play. I'd listened to Richard Fott's episodes, uh, Tim Knight with the rattling. So, and I've never had any type of success ever with rattling or calling. So I thought, well, I just, I've got to try it. I've got to be aggressive. That's one thing too I I wish I would have done last year was be more aggressive. Had I been aggressive, I could have probably killed that buck last year, but we, everybody gets in a rut. They get in a rut of doing the same thing over and over and over. And I was in that rut for years, and not having any success. I mean, you got to be aggressive. You got to get out of your comfort zone and try some of this stuff. So, I broke out my call, and uh I did on Richard fought his little technique of you know three hundred sixty degrees, just tending grunts all the way around you. About every ten minutes, I was doing that. Well, I'd also taken and got me a set of uh, antlers and made me a uh, yo-yo like. Uh, Tim Knight does, you know, bouncing it off the ground and rattling that way. So it's, you get the ground noise and you get the rattling noise and whatnot. And uh, I was doing that about every 10 minutes. And I think it was, I got in right at daylight. And it was about 30, 40 minutes after daylight. I had that same spike I saw November 16th come by me. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I said, I know that little dude ain't making all this sign. And he come right by me but he had his tail up and his nose around and he was moving pretty fast and i didn't kind of I didn't really know what he was up to i just knew he was moving through there and he come by me at 10 yards okay so i waited a little while and i did it a couple more times and about 30 minutes later i hear another but or another deer coming so i get my bow get ready and it's an eight point he's not legal he's just maybe 11 12 inches wide young eight point and he comes over the ridge same trail, the spike came down just out of my wind, just barely out of my wind, and uh, he runs right to the base of my tree, and he's standing there looking down the hill, because he heard that rattle and grunt, and he's looking for that deer. Now I got a little video of him as he left. I was trying to get my phone out, but he was literally right at the base of my tree. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. I said, well, if nothing else, I've seen two deer this morning. It's been a great morning. And uh, so I kept every five or ten minutes I did it, about 30 minutes later, here another deer coming, same trail. It happened to be the buck I shot, but he had his nose to the ground, too, and he was kind of doing like a spike. I'm wondering if maybe a doe had come through that morning, and uh, they were trailing that doe or something. I don't know, but he didn't sound like – or he didn't look like he was interested in the calling. He looked like he was more interested in – he was like he was following a trail. And that sucker, he got to about 20 yards from me, and he turned and went almost directly downwind to me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I just, I just knew I was busted. But I just – I don't know if I had a little bit of – Updraft from thermal from the morning, you know, starting to heat up a little bit or what? I'm not sure. Anyway, he didn't win me, and he come by me at 10 yards, and he wasn't like on a sprint, but he was moving pretty good. And I didn't even try to stop him; I just I let go, and I hit him a little far back. So I knew he was a good buck. I didn't know how many points he had or what. And then, yeah, I'm I'm pretty good about staying cool and calm and collective until after I shoot a deer, and then after I shoot a deer, I start falling apart. You know. (laughs) And uh, texting my buddies, man, I just shot a great deer. I mean, probably my biggest bow buck so far, blah, blah, blah. But the shot was terrible and whatnot. And, you know, you go through all that, all those emotions. And I stayed in the tree for about 45 minutes. I kept looking down there. And I was like, man, I swear I see blood on the leaves where the arrow's stuck in the ground. I got my rangefinder out and looked, and sure enough, there's blood there. I was like, man, it's, it's not that bad of a hit. So I went ahead and climbed down. and waited about 30 minutes, climbed down, walked over, and, you know, arrows coated in blood but i knew it was a liver hit i could tell it was liver and by where the shot you know placement was so i had to go down pack all my stuff up and carry it down there to the canoe and i sat there on the riverbank for about four hours just texting everybody and you know sick gut feeling man i can't bump this deer i can't bump this deer you know i did that one of my big nine points i killed a couple of years ago on the funnel i bumped him and didn't find it until the next morning so but anyway, I just waited about four hours, and I was texting the, another buddy of mine. He's a good bow hunter. And he was like, man, that deer's dead by, you know, I guarantee you know, by the blood on the arrow and stuff, I send them all pictures. I was like, I don't I, I'm sure he is, but I can't bump him. And I was sitting there talking to him, and I look up, and there's a buzzard circling. I was like, dude, I, I got a dead deer. I know I do. So I went ahead and took up the blood trail. and He had gone about I don't know, 100, 125 yards from where I shot him. It was piled up, stiffer the board. He had been dead that whole four he probably died within the first five minutes not as you know but you gotta make that judgment call you gotta you know do the right thing Nick if you ever lose one you'll uh you'll know to sit there and wait <laughs> but end up I don't even know what the score is on that deer. i I've, I've, I've never had a deer scored so I'm just all I know is he was a big eight point um, he was 16 and a half inches wide long tines, big heavy deer big mature deer so when I got done, my cousin, he come down to me, and he he paddled down to where I had parked my uh, canoe, and just so happened he had died about 75 yards from the river. So I drug him to the river, and he paddled down and picked us up, and we paddled back up there, and I walked up there and got my camera. When I got home, I started looking at pictures of that camera. I would hung that camera on 16th, October 16th. That night, I had that buck in that scrape working that scrape. So it was a... Uh, Pretty interesting to see. us. I've never had success over scrapes or anything like that, because I've never hunted them. I just didn't know anything about them. But ever talking to Troy and listening to his podcast and stuff, it, uh, it really, man, it was really interesting. It was really cool to see. I had does in there multiple times during the day, peanut scrape. I had several small bucks, but he was, I think, the dominant buck in that area, because he's the only big buck I had. But I had him mornings, evenings. Uh, no full-time daylight pitchers, but I mean, I had him in there almost every day in that scrape, working that scrape. So I know he was close. Um, now, there was another guy, and it's kind of another interesting por- point. Uh, I put in, some posts out on social media on some of the public forums around here, local forums. A guy hit me up. He's like, hey, man, uh, would you mind telling me what county you killed that deer in? I was like, ah, oh, crap. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty private about where I hunt because I don't want nobody finding my spots. And so I told him what county he was in. He said, I think I've got that deer on camera. And he was, he was hunting about three miles as a crow flies from where I was hunting. And he had that buck on camera, but it was kind of random. So I think, I think I had him in his core area, but that all comes back to the episode with Troy Pottinger. Yeah, everything I learned from him told me that was going to be a good spot with all the sign. Uh, Josh Driver. Yeah. I found it because of his episode. I used Richard Flott's calling techniques. Um, Tim Knight, his rattling techniques. I mean, there's a lot, a lot that went into that. You know, it's one thing I tell everybody too. I get a lot of people asking me questions. And, you know, well, what about this? What about that? Because I've had some success before all this, but in the last year or two, it's really amped up. And uh, first thing I tell them now is get on the Southern Outdoorsman podcast, subscribe to it, listen to it religiously. And I said you're going to go down a rabbit hole. It's going to be overwhelming but you'll learn something from everybody um there's it's kind of you know it's, it's a pretty unique brotherhood i you know a lot of the guys even though you're hunting different parts of the country I, I learn stuff from everybody and everybody on there is the type of person that i can relate to you know and i could you know you could picture going hunting with them and being you know friends with them and doing everything what they're doing because we're all we all got the same goal you know we're all striving to be better of better hunters and learn more and
0: whatnot so yeah absolutely well so that was
2: was probably more than you were wanting oh no (laughs) that that
0: was actually fantastic kind of how you wrapped it in with the episodes but so you know you've mentioned a few different guys and some episodes that we've had with some specific guests uh, that were impactful especially for that first hunt uh of course you talked about josh driver which is episode 141 which we've had on multiple other times but episode 141 Mm -hmm. is like the biggest one when it comes to uh people you know impacting people Let me ask, when it came to Josh Driver, before you kind of listened to him and then once you had heard him talk about, especially like compounding features, you know, habitat, diversity, edges, and uh, interior edges, the whole nine yards, how did that change your perspective of how you started looking at maps and aerial maps?
2: Oh, man, it's night and day difference. Um, Before, I was never really map scouting. I was kind of just boots on the ground, just going out hunting, hunting. I didn't have a Facebook account until a couple of years ago. I mean, I was just not that into computer type stuff, but man, it really opened my eyes. And, uh, you know, I, I don't even think I had on X or anything like that, you know? So I started learning that. And that's what I tell everybody to us and, you know, learn terrain and, and man, it's just, it's really opened my eyes. Even in, like I mentioned, uh, one of the WMAs here, the habitat just is basically the same all the way. If you look at a map of it, it's just one big, huge block of timber. But when you start breaking that down and you get inside of that, you start finding those interior edges, you know, where the thicket butts up to some hardwoods and whatnot. I didn't know any of that stuff. You know, the success I had was basically hunting funnels. And it was during the rut. And I'll, I'll, I'll kind of go on that after a while. There's one funnel I've got that's been productive year after year after year. I mean, even my cousin last year, he hit opportunity to big 10 point and missed it. But um, so when I one thing I have noticed by learning some of that, learning the, it's not just the topo changes, but it's the interior edges, you know, and stuff. Waterways is one thing that I've really kind of noticed it more in the last year because of all, you know, everything I've learned from these guys. Uh, I use water access a lot. Um, and one thing I've really noticed with the water access, or not just access, but the waterways itself, wherever you have water, you have an open canopy so that open canopy allows more light in around the edges so it's usually super thick around the edges of any open water and then it'll, then once you get past that thick edge then it'll break more more open hardwoods i'm finding more sign around water edges and waterways than anywhere else you know, you'll find sign out in the you know big hardwoods where all the acorns are dropping and whatnot but that's all stuff that's done at night pretty much um but using that water access, I can pop in, go in 50 yards and be hunting and be in a good spot. And I'm not far ill. I think just about every hunt I've done in the last – well, this, lat, this year pretty much that I took my kayak in – or my canoe in, I'm sorry. I could see my canoe from where I was hunting because any further than that, it just became wide open woods. So i will I might go in a mile, I might go in two miles or whatever area I'm going to when i pop up i'm just i'm there where i'm hunting i'm not hunting far from from my kayak or my canoe so um that kind of opened my eyes to that too I, I never knew to look for that stuff you know i was looking like everybody else i was looking these oh man this beautiful hardwood man there's acorns everywhere there's tracks everywhere i climb a tree and sit there and not see a deer so when i started learning to find those thick edges thick areas and get into those thicker areas that's when i started seeing deer now if i go and i don't see a deer i'm i did something wrong i'm like man i I didn't access it right maybe i blew the deer out or maybe it's just i didn't scout it good enough to find the right spot you know i might have been 100 yards off or whatever you know but finding those thick edges the interior edges um there's one spot i know of that i've hunted that We've had some success at, as far as seeing deer, I haven't killed a deer there yet, but we've had pretty good success seeing deer there. And The pine thicket butts up to some hardwood edges, and I never knew that before. I would go, I would, no way I'm going to go sit out there in the pine trees and hunt. Well, now knowing what I know, I'll walk right down that edge and get the wind in my favor, pop up, and I'll see deer almost every time. You now I'm not always in the game, but I'm seeing deer, you know, so it, it really changes the way you look at things. Um yeah, I said something earlier about not getting stuck in a rut, man. That's, and I've done it sit there and look at maps and I need to try this. And, you know, I need, you hear people say this stuff, you hear people say this stuff and then you go out and do the same thing you've been doing and you wonder why you're not having some, no success because you're not changing what you're doing. So that I had to learn it the hard way, you know, like everybody else. I just, you got to learn the lessons you're, the hard way, I guess, or really stick home, you know, <laughs> so, but I mean, it really changes the way you look at things. Um, i never knew nothing about interior edges i never knew nothing about train features you know you hear about saddles well, and some you know i've heard y'all talk recently on some of the episodes about subtle subtle saddles you know it might not be just this real defined saddle but just a low area between two other spots you know and that's that's paying off i just recently got access to some private land behind my house here and uh I did the old map scout, looked at it, put a pin drop, walked in there, and there's a big old monster rub right there where some pine trees butt up to some hardwoods and this real slight saddle. Mm. I'm like, man, if I'd have known this stuff twenty years ago, I mean I'd be a legend, you know. <laughs> <laughs> when you think turkey calls,
1: think of houndstooth. Houndstooth Game Calls is a company based right here in Alabama, actually based out of Tuscaloosa, and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012. Y'all head on over to their website, see what they got. They got a little something for everybody. They have a huge selection of different mouth calls, different cuts, different reed configuration. I like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them, see which ones I like the most. You know, some days I might like the KB hen, some days I might like the ghost cut. Some situations I might like the country girl call, you know, that I can cuddle on really hard, where on other situations, I might like the all pro that I can get a little bit softer on. Bottom line, there's something for everybody and something for every situation. And hey, you can get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls by using the promo code SOP24. That's SOP24. Use that promo code. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast.
0: As deer seasons come to a close for most of us in the Southeast, this is when you really got to start paying attention when we start getting these warmer temps for a lot of these insects. It was actually kind of crazy. We were out hunting a couple weeks ago with the dogs and we got into a bunch of ticks in a day that it was just two days before everything was froze up and iced up. But make sure you're protecting yourself and your family with sawyers. Everything from the best insect repellents, especially their deep products, but also the precaritin products for protecting yourself from ticks mosquitoes, all kinds of flying insects as well, but also their water filtration devices, first aid kits, and more Sawyer's has you covered. You can pick up Sawyer's products from a lot of your sporting goods stores, whether you have a local sporting goods store or one of the big box stores like a Bass Pro Shop, or even like a Walmart, you can pick up your Sawyer products from there. Again, we've truly enjoyed using Sawyer products. And again, as we head into the springtime, it's gonna be more and more important, especially with the insect repellents, to make sure that you're well protected going into this springtime. So give Sawyer's a chance going into this turkey season. Man, Mark's Outdoors is your one-stop shop. For everything outdoor and shooting related, they're a family-owned business that's been around for over 40 years now. I've been serving the Birmingham area, but now they have opened their doors to everyone across the United States through their online store. Again, me and andrew have been using Marks Outdoors for years now. They have a unbelievable supplies of literally anything that we need. We can pick up from Marks Outdoors. They're even carrying different saddle companies, sticks, platforms, the whole nine yards at Marks Outdoors. And again, if you don't live in Alabama and you don't want to make the drive to Birmingham, you. Can Go over to their website MarksOutdoors.com, and actually shop on their online store to get awesome deals on different products that you may be needing right now and be able to get to you in a very timely manner as well. So give Marks Outdoors a try. We promise you you'll enjoy them. They have unbelievable customer service and some of the best guys in the industry. Well, see that's the thing. That's the kind of eye opening thing. That's why I like talking to you know other listeners and stuff of the show is especially you know the ones that's gone out there and they they've learned stuff like what you have like you know putting stuff together from different guests. And then mm-hmm. gone out and implemented And then to me, it's it's one thing when you hear it, like hear it on an episode. It's another thing when you're like, okay, I'm going to go out there and do it. And you do it. And then you see the success that you have. To me, yeah. that's, that's the real eye-opening aspect of it. It's like there's so much more to it. Like, you know, anyone can listen to a podcast. And there's only so much you can get from a podcast. I mean, you can listen to podcasts yeah. all day long. But if you don't go out and try to implement some of these things that these people are talking about that they're having success with and finding what might work for you in your area – nothing's actually ch- nothing's gonna saying. change you know, don't get
2: stuck in that rut you know we hear it we hear people say it i've heard y'all say it i've heard all your guests say it and then you go out and climb a tree and do the same thing you did last week no wonder why i ain't seen no deer you know um y'all had somebody on like i'm terrible with names and terrible with numbers so you, you can help me out uh recently within the last week or two talking about being aggressive you know going in there and bumping deer and whatnot I've had to learn to do that. I've had to learn to be more aggressive and you know, always be afraid to get into that thick stuff. I'm just gonna set up right on the edge of it, you know, dive off in there. You know, what's what's the one thing that all the guys we look up to over the years and all the episodes you've had, what's the one thing they've had in common about where they're setting up?
0: Oh, I mean ninety nine percent or no, I'll say 95 percent of them is in the thick cover and a lot of them there it's, you go. it's it's a lot of failed mistakes. It's in the
2: thickest stuff they can find. Mm-hmm. So, and I've been guilty of it. I mean, I've, up until the last year or two, I've been guilty of it. And, then, you know, and you get stuck in a rut because you have success. Say you kill a deer. Well, that worked. Well, then you next thing you know, you're doing that same thing for the next two years trying to kill another deer, you know. So, you've got to change it up. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. If it ain't working, you've got to find something else, you know. Do something else that works.
0: And, yeah, and, and another thing, just kind of like uh you mentioned the uh the, the guy you were talking about earlier, uh, or like just a couple minutes ago, uh like being real aggressive. That's uh, Justin Wright, who we just had on a couple weeks ago, or yes. maybe it's last week. And uh, you know, he, he's a you know ninety percent weekend warrior, other than taking a couple of vacation days a year Third, to do oh, a yeah. three four day hunt, and that's like his whole aspect. Which kind of opened my eyes too, is you know being more aggressive and trying to actually like you know. I mean almost to the point like truly bumping deer to confirm that that buck is actually there because you yeah. can hunt an area in their sign but uh, unless you confirm it hey that buck is truly living there you know it could be you know a mile from his core and you, you're seeing like nighttime sign um mm-hmm.
2: and most of us are weekend warriors I mean most of us most of us are hunting
0: day and a half
2: two days a week if we're lucky you know now I'm fortunate enough I'm self-employed and I can get some mornings off or evenings off right you know the day uh the buck i killed last week that old wide six point i took a friday off i lined the guys out and that fell on the new moon now that's the reason i timed that for that day it fell on the moon the conditions weren't good i mean the weather sucked but it wasn't the new moon and i tried to try to implement that more this year too and um i took the day off i paid the guys on thursday i took the day off and went and shot him at eight thirty that morning you know and that was uh i credit that one to bill Vale. um we talked about that some in our messages uh you know he was some of the tactics he does is kind of goes against the grain of what everybody's always been taught you know everybody i've always been guilty of it sitting there with the wind in my face looking at a thicket and wondering why i'm not seeing deer well the deer are going out the other side because the wind's in their face you know type mm-hmm. thing and, I, you know, after his episode <clears throat> that I listened, I don't know when he was on, but I just listened to it, uh, I don't know, it's been a few months back, five or six months back, I can't remember. I went ahead and ordered his book, and you know, read through his book, and man, it's deep, all the lunar stuff in there with the pathogen and whatever, pathogen, whatever that stuff is called, is <laughs> super deep. I have to go back and read it several times, but one of the tactics he uses is having the wind blowing straight at the deer. You know, he uses access, he'll walk in with the wind in his back, blowing straight at the deer, get in there and climb, and have some type of barrier turn around face the deer. So the deer, you know, if they're coming, like today, I killed that buck, we had a south wind. I paddled in about two miles to a spot, um, had to cross a beaver dam to get into there, and I scouted this spot on the map, and I, uh, see, about a month or so ago, I actually walked to the edge of it and looked up in there, but I never didn't go in. And it looked super, super thick from where I was at, from the edge of the water. So I was talking to my cousin, and uh, I said, man, I, I've got to try it. I've got to do something different. I'm not seeing deer in this this particular WMA. I've only seen a couple of deer this year. I said, something's changed. We don't have near the acorns we've had in the previous year with that freeze, you know, with the snow apocalypse we had. And uh, so I went and said, I'm going to try it. So I went in and paddled in. He hunted uh, about a half a mile from me, paddled in with me, and he got out about a half a mile or so before I did. And uh I paddled in and I got there at daylight and that's one thing I started doing more too is if it's an unknown area, instead of going in, in the pitch black and climbing a tree and wishing I'd have been thirty yards the other direction or something, I started going in at daylight, get there at daylight and after gray light, slipping in there super quiet, super slow and climbing, you know, picking the right tree and climbing and that's what I did. I got it I think I got in the tree about maybe 30 minutes after legal shooting light and when i walked in it said super thick along the edges and i kind of come around some of that stuff and i walked in it looked pretty open i was like man i don't know it's pretty open i've been hunting this thick stuff so you know so well i'm here i've got to do something well i found the i went in about 70 yards and there was another kind of thick line of brush so i went ahead and just climbed right there and i just pretty much chalked it up as it's just going to be a observation set this morning and then i'm gonna get down about nine o'clock to, was planned to hunt till about one i had to be back for some stuff now well, as a matter of fact i had to be back to go get a check from one of my customers so um i said well i can hunt to about one that'll put me home about three or three thirty so he said okay well i think it was i climbed a tree and i was sitting there i was like man i'm just gonna i was texting him i said this sucks i said it's too it's too open in here i'm not gonna see crap i don't think i said i'm gonna hunt till about 10 i'm gonna get down i'm gonna do some scouting and uh he said okay and like it was about 30 minutes later i was sitting there and i actually got on my phone and i was just messing around and i just caught something out of the corner of my eye and i said like, holy cow is a deer and i didn't know what it was i just seen a deer move so i put my phone up and i was sitting there and and then I could tell it was a buck. I couldn't tell what it was and what he had done. <clears throat> so I had a south wind, and I, and I come in on the north side of the river, walked in 70 yards, turned around, face south. That deer had come through the thicket into the wind until he bumped the river, and then he's got to go east or west. Well, I had a little bit of a southwest wind, so he, he turns and goes to the west a little bit, and it's going to put him right in front of me. Well, at about, I don't know, 50 yards, he's coming. I'm like... And it's the perfect. There's a, I can see a trail right in front of me, a slight trail, more of a hog trail, I think, than anything. But I'm thinking he's just going to walk that trail 10, 15 yards in front of me, and it's just, you know, it's perfect. Well, now that I look back and think about it, I think he was more avoiding those open woods and kind of sticking to the thicker stuff. And he kind of popped into some thick stuff, and I lost him for a second, so I pulled the grunt tube out and gave him a couple soft grunts, and the sucker comes straight out of that thicket look straight at my tree and I i like, oh man i'm dead I, I thought he bust you know he's looking straight at me i know he can't smell me or anything where he's at well then he starts circling down of me and i'm like holy cow this oh gosh you know i just i knew it was over but i could tell he was an old buck i know he didn't have a real big rack but i could tell he was an old mature deer and i mean that's like that's what everybody wants to kill an old mature deer you know and uh he kind of gets to that hog trail and comes toward me a little bit so now i'm like Okay, this is perfect. He's gonna take this trail right in front of me. Well, nope. He keeps going a little bit to my left, and I, I see it playing out. And I'm I'm watching him. I'm like, he's gonna he's fixing to bust me. He's fixing to bust me. He's fixing to bust me. And about 30 yards that sucker, he stopped mid stride, and he didn't. He just actually took a step backwards, did a 360 degree, and started walking straight away from me. I say 360, 180 degrees, started walking straight away from me. I'm like, holy cow. So when he spun around, I went ahead and drew my bow. And I knew it smelled me. And I gave him the old Mac, and he didn't do nothing. So I was like, Mac! <laughs> super loud. I don't know if he, 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 anybody within a couple hundred yards would probably heard me. I did it so loud, but well, it it worked. That sucker. He spun and looked straight at me, and I knew he was about forty yards. And I settled a pin on his shoulder and squeezed off. And I actually thought I missed him. <laughs> Because he never really jumped. He didn't jump, kick, nothing. He just kind of lurched forward and then just trotted off. He didn't bust and run or nothing. He just kind of trotted off and went right back in that thicket the way he come from. I'm like, oh, crap. So I text my cousin, well, I just shot at a big wide buck. I said he's old. He's not big, but, you know, old wide deer. I think I missed him low. He's like, okay. I said, well, I'm going to give it about 30 minutes. And I'm going to climb down, get my stuff together, and get my arrow and I'm going to go scout and uh it's okay and i text a couple other people and whatnot i I thought it was pretty much over so i pull out my little coffee thermos and drank me a cup of coffee and sat there for a while and i climbed down i walked over there get my arrow there's just blood everywhere i was like holy cow i text my cousin back i said man i hit him i hit him good but the way he acted i didn't he didn't act like he was hit and uh so i started trailing him and it was just blood like crazy, just out both sides for about seventy-five yards, and then it just stopped, nothing. And it took me about an hour. I circled and circled. I and I actually quit. You know, I hung a, my vest on the tree right there, and I just started grid searching some thick areas. And I knew he was dead, but I just couldn't find his blood trail. And I texted my cousin. I said, "Man, you got to come help me." He said, "Okay," and uh, it took him about forty-five minutes to get to where I was at. And by the time he he got down to where I was at, and I found the blood trail. It, I don't know why it stopped. I guess it just clogged up with some fat or something. But about 25 yards from where it stopped, there's some really, really thick brush, and I thought, man, that's the only place I hadn't looked. And I walked into that, and sure enough, I found blood, and it was just opened back up again. <clears throat> and uh, we started tracking from there. Well, the further it went, the less it got. And uh, cousin, by that time, he had got to me. And I told him, I said, I'm just going to stay on blood. Um, I was just, at that point, I was just literally finding pin drops. And uh, I said, you just make a big circle about 50, 60 yards out in front of me. And they come back to me. That's if you don't find anything, make another big circle. He wasn't gone two minutes, he calls me. So, man, I found him. A deer had gone probably 200 yards from where I'd shot him. I don't know how that deer ran that far. I'd taken out the back of the heart uh, lower part of the lungs and the exit of the front of the gut on the left side. Cause when he, had, when he spun, I thought he was still more quartering away, but he actually spun a little quarter to me. And, uh, there he was piled up and he had actually crossed another Creek and everything. And he didn't make it up the bank on the other side. And we found it, or he found him laying there. He seen, seen him before he got to him. But I mean, I was, I was more stoked over that deer than I was at the bigger buck I killed because he's just an old, old deer. Um, I'm not good at aging deer. I have no idea how old he was. I just, I don't know he's old. And that's kind of like the cream of the crop right there, you know?
0: Oh yeah. Listen, uh, you know, Andrew's not, of course not on here, but, uh, when he sees the social media posts with the, uh, photos, he, he's got a thing for big, for like old big old six points. So, uh, dude, it, it's yeah. a, it's an awesome deer. And Hey, another boat access buck, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, so look, I want to, I want to talk about that hunt a little bit more. So just to kind of recap that, you know, we've talked about the first hunt and kind of how you pinpointed that area. What again, kind of caused you to go into this area based off, you know, what you were reading on the maps and everything else. Cause you know, it, from everything you just said, it sounded like you just kind of went in again, went in blind, kind of based off the maps yeah. and everything, picked a spot and, and, and made it work out.
2: Man, and, and that you hear that all the time too. The, the first time in is the best time in and I find that true all the time. I'll pick a spot on the map and it don't, don't always plan, pan out, but usually the first time in to a spot that has everything it's you're looking for is usually your best time in there. You'll see a deer or two or whatever, you know, big buck encounter or something. That first time in is usually good. But I'd actually, I found this spot <coughs> because I was hunting a funnel previously, um, about a half a mile from there. It's probably about two and a half miles from where I launch. And, um, Last year, I missed a pretty good eight-point in that funnel uh, with my longbow, shot right under it, and um, I'd I'd gone back to hunt that spot this year, and it was was actually November 2nd of last year when I missed that buck in that funnel. Well, I hunted it November 2nd of this year, (laughs) you know, trying to play out that uh, one-year-later-to-the-day type thing. I told my cousin, man, if I can do this one-year-later-to-the-day, it's going to be epic, you know and uh it's funny i'm terrible numbers terrible names and i can remember dates pretty good uh, <clears throat> um, and I'd, I'd hunted that funnel and didn't see nothing i mean just absolutely nothing and then i was kind of bummed about it on the way back out i'd have been texting my cousins this whole time and i said i got a spot i want to check i said it's a low area i said I, the only place i'm fi- and the only place i was finding acorns this year was the really low areas all the big white oaks and red oaks very few of those are dropping anywhere um I've never been good at, you know, hunting feed trees and stuff like that because there's just it's usually so many feed trees. You know, you got 5, 10, 15,000 acres and nothing but hardwood bottoms. I mean, it's just feed tree after feed tree after feed tree. So, but this year, like I said, very few acorns. So, and we could tell something had changed as far. as We're not seeing the deer numbers we normally see. We're not seeing them travel like we normally. I said, they're going somewhere. So on the way back out, i did, done that for a morning hunt on the way back out. So I want to check this spot, and the reason I was going to check it is I had seen several deer in the previous years along this bank. And that's what kind of opened my eyes to the thick edges along the waterways with the open canopy. I'd seen several deer in my headlamp going in or going out over previous years in this area. I said, man, there's something going on because I keep seeing deer in the same same general area, not the same spot, in the same general area on the riverbank. So I am going to go check it out. And that's, that's when I got to this spot, <clears throat> I got out and just walked in there and it was just tore up, mostly hog sign, but there were some deer sign too. Most, and just tore up. I think it was the, uh, those big swamp oaks or water oaks, whatever you call them. Those are about the only trees this year that I found decent amount of acorns under. So I told him, I said, man, I said, that's the only spot I'm finding sign. I said, so the deer got to be close to that. So that's when I decided to, <clears throat> try that hunt, and I've always hunted, you know, with the wind in my face, you know, if I had a south wind, I'd pop on the south side of the river, put the wind in my face, and sometimes the deer, usually not. North wind, I'd pop up north side. Well, this time was, you know, using Bill Bell's wind rule, I popped up on the north side of the river, and walked in, turned around, face the river, and had a south wind in my face, and, you know, it makes perfect sense, now that, if somebody actually points it out to you. It makes perfect sense. You know, deer are going to go with their instincts and the instincts are to go into the wind. So, and I, am not sure if it was Bill that said it or who said it. Um, somebody had said it. And I think it was on your, one of your episodes about deer don't think, you know, they don't have cognitive thought. They don't think, Oh, hey, I'm going to go over here and see Bill this day. Or I'm going to go over here and see Jane this day. Everything they do is on instinct mm-hmm. and, uh, You know, that's uh, – Josh Driver said that's the chink in their armor. Everything a deer does is on instinct. If you know what a deer's instinct is to do, then there's no reason you shouldn't be able to kill a deer. So once Bill Bill explains that, you know, and several other of your previous guys have talked about, you know, killing wind and stuff like that. Well, start piecing all that together and find out this whole time, you know, the last 30 years I've been hunting wrong, and that's why I'm having limited success, you know. So deer don't do anything by accident. It's all on instinct. You know, you hear people say, well, he outsmarted me today. Well, he didn't outsmart you. He's just doing what deer do, you know. You just got to outsmart him. And I think I think it was Bill that said, you know, the deer, they outrun us. They outsee us. They outsmell us. They outhear us. What do we got against them? It's intelligence. Our intelligence gives us the edge. Knowing that deer act slowly on instinct gives us that advantage well i never really thought of that never really knew that and nobody ever told me that until i read bill's book and you know he's telling you dummy you're sitting here wrong with the wind wrong you need to be sitting this way with the wind doing this and it sounds so against the grain because we've always done things the same way over and over and over you know you gotta change it up and it worked and i'm i i do not think it's purely accident you know, the deer was doing what the deer does. Mm-hmm. I just happened to listen to somebody and did the right thing. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: yeah. It, 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 his example, uh, we actually, we filmed a video with him and we still get the footage, but we have some audio issues. We'll probably have to, i we'll probably just need to re-record it with him. Um, where he, he does a breakdown, like a bunch of different hunting scenarios of like how he uses like his, uh, like his style of setups with the wind. Uh, yeah. with a lot of time, the wind over his back while bow hunting and, yeah. uh, him, my favorite one he talked about, and he talked about in the episode a little bit, but he really does a great job in the video explaining it is, you know, we don't have a lot of ag like where I'm at, but I've hunted places with a lot of ag, but how he'll hunt a cornfield or something like that. Really just a cornfield, a standing cornfield, um, where he's walking in with the wind at his advantage or the wind in, uh, at his back uh mm-hmm. from the the windward side walks into the corn and then turns around and then sets up, you know, 15 yards off the edge of the corn. And yeah, he's blowing out whatever's directly, you know, downwind of him, but what he talks about, especially in a large cornfield, if there is, is there if there are deer in like your scent cone downwind of you, they're not just going to totally leave the cornfield if it's a larger cornfield. They're just going to go, yeah. you know, to the left or right of you. It, you know, you know, 50, 60, 100 yards, and they're going to re bed down. They're gonna, not going to smell you more. They're going to chill out. And then at, you know, dark or, you know, getting close to legal light, they're going to get up and feed and they're going to feed with the wind to their advantage, walk directly yep. to that edge that you're watching, and then they're going to walk parallel to it uh, down the edge. And then that's when you get your shot opportunity. And I'm like, man, that makes a and lot of sense.
2: Makes perfect sense. It's just nobody's ever explained that, you know, or
0: <clears throat> whatnot. But, um,
2: Oh, something else I was going to say, too, a minute ago, and I forgot. That spot where I killed that old six-point last week, when I climbed the tree, and I was sitting there texting my cousin, I turned around and looked, and there was uh, remnants of an old deer stand in there. I mean, it's been there so long, the tree's grown up over the, the two-by-four and stuff that are still there. And I think, it, I can't remember who said that. too. I might have been on one of y'all's episodes talking about them old-timers. If you ever find an old stand like that out in the middle of the woods, hunt it. It's probably a good spot. Because they didn't have On X and Google Maps and all the stuff we have now, they hunted by years of experience, and that led them to that area. So I thought that was pretty cool to find that old, that old stand right there. So I'll be back. I'll go back to that spot. I'll hunt the same way again next year. But,
0: <clears throat> well, it's one of those. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, yeah, and we we've discussed that, and we had guests discuss it on the podcast too. Is you know you got to think if someone is making a homemade stand, you have to put so much effort into making that stand. You weren't just randomly making yeah. those throughout the woods, <laughs> like because it wasn't worth the time and investment doing You're it. You're
2: not dragging that sucker in two and a half, two two and a half miles in the
0: woods, to, no. Miles. And especially if it was something hand built, you know, it's one of those things that yeah. they they hunted off the ground, and then they're like, oh well, you know, this is a great spot. Why don't we put something where we can get elevated? And that's why they put those stands there. And absolutely, that's a it's a good point. And also, especially if you find them in good terrain features, that's like some of the best ones. Like you go in like a national forest or something, at least around here, and you can find some that have been out there since the 70s. And, yeah. um, you it's know. Like a
2: good funnel is a good funnel. I mean, yep. as long as nobody messes it up, it'll be a good funnel from now on. And that's, you know, something I was said earlier, too. I had some, you know, about this one particular funnel I hunt. I found it – uh after reading one of, uh, I think it was Barry Wenzel's or Gene Wenzel's books and uh, talking about funnels, and I found that This was way before I ever got on podcast or anything like that. And uh, it produces, it produces year after year. Um, I've killed one, two, three, four, four bucks in that funnel, and a doe in that funnel in the last four or five years. I think I mm-hmm. uh, didn't kill anything there last year, um, but my cousin, I should. I, I told him, and that's what I was talking earlier, too, about um, they're only good during certain times. I have enough history with this one funnel that I can tell you between November 16th and November 21st or 22nd, if I go set that funnel, I will have a chance to shoot a deer. Yep. If the conditions are right. and uh, Actually, I wasn't going to mention this, but I'll go ahead and be honest and be open. I've shot three bucks this year. I shot one in that funnel this year on November 18th, and I didn't recover it. I never found it. I made mm-hmm. a terrible shot. It's completely my fault. I just flubbed the shot, hit him way back, and we uh, I actually left, gave him 12 hours, went back with the dog and a cup of my buddies, and we looked till like 11:30 12 o'clock that night, didn't find him. I went to work the next morning, took off early, went back out during the day and searched about four or five hours the next day, never found him. I think the reason we didn't find him was because – it was the rut and he just kept on cruising looking for those i don't know but like i, said, I have enough history with that funnel that i've killed a big nine point there i'll have to send you pictures picture of the other deer um what really kind of set it off was the first buck i killed there was an old old nine point wasn't real big but uh, as far as rack wise old deer and he was all scarred up been fighting and he had a crooked horn on one side it kind of looked like a check mark you know and killed that deer on november 20th a couple years ago the nine point was november 21st or 19th i can't remember i have to go back and look at that one um then last year i told my cousin i couldn't hunt like i, said, I mentioned earlier my wife she was diagnosed with cancer last year so last year was a pretty rough year for me for, for deer hunting i couldn't didn't get a lot of time and uh i told my cousin i said man you know i've got history of that funnel i said i can you, he's all oh, I've never been there. And I said, Well, get your map out, I'll show you. And I put a pin drop. I said, Go right here, walk this trail, go to this tree. When you see this tree, this deadfall, hang on left. And yeah, I told him exactly how to get to the tree I was hunting. And that was on November 21st last year. And a 10 point walk by him and he missed it at 10 yards. You know, with a longbow. And then so I went back this year, uh, November 18th, um, 18th. Yeah, it was November 18th of this year. We had a uh, cold front come through, high pressure, and the next day and conditions are right. And I actually told another buddy of mine. I told him, I said, "Man, you take off work tomorrow and go hunt." And he said, "Why?" Uh, so I broke up my stuff and showed him. I said, "Look, we got this high pressure, we got 30 degree temperature drop, front moving through with a north wind." I said, "I will kill a deer, deer tomorrow. Or I'll have an opportunity to kill a deer tomorrow. I said, I'm not going to shoot a small deer this far back, but because that that's a little over a mile and a half, I think, to walk back to that spot." And I told him, I said, I will kill a deer or have an opportunity to kill a deer tomorrow. And sure, and I seen three deer that morning, a little six point, no, I'm sorry, a little four point come through. This deer, he come through at, I think it was around 8.30. He walked in and I didn't realize it when I, after until I climbed the tree, there was actually a scrape there. And I think he was fixing to go work that scrape. And had I waited a couple more seconds. I could have t- took him my time and made a better shot, but I rushed it and hit him back, but. And then when I left, I had to circle around and go all the way around to get out because I didn't want to go in the area he went into. And I had another deer walk by me at 30 yards while I was walking out of there. So, I mean, they're good. Funnels are good. And they'll be good year after year as long as nobody screws them up. But they're only good during certain time frames. So, yep. And that's, you know, that's what led me to trying to get better. You know, trying, I'm not seeing deer two months out of the year. I'm only seeing deer in this two or three week window, you know. Yeah. Um,
0: And that, I'll say this, that's one thing that, um, you know, I try to focus more so in trying to find guests or, you know, guests that are successful, especially outside the rut. And to be honest, it's challenging to find guys that are consistently successful outside the rut just because conditions that are had, especially in the Southeast. Um, But, uh, you know, that's something that I think a lot of people strive for. And kind of, I think a lot of our goals is, You know, try to be a consistent hunter no matter the time of the season, whether it's early season, you know, rut, or late season.
2: It took me years to kill a deer in October. You know, I was killing deer in November, but I couldn't kill a deer in October to save my life, you
0: know. (laughs) So, but. Well, Randy, Getting better. yeah, Getting better. Well, I've Mm -hmm. got a question for you. You mentioned this really early in the podcast. I just got to ask. You said that uh, you've been a traditional bow hunter for a long time, but uh, this year you made the switch to compound, and uh, you, you had seemed like you were going to potentially try to go into that. I don't know if you do want to, but I'm always curious to kind of hear that side of the story.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, well, I, I hadn't told you and I wasn't going to bring it up, but I'm actually a lawyer. I'm, I own a, own a company called Primal Tech Bows and I build traditional equipment, long bows, recurves, whatnot. And I have another company that's a, a concrete construction company. So, um, and that's what I've been doing for the last, I've been strictly traditional for probably the last eight years. And then, uh, like I said, last year, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. So, anybody knows anything about traditional equipment, you know, hunting with traditional equipment, you know, you've got to be really focused. Um, your form's got to be good. Your, you know, everything's got to be good. And my focus just went out the window. With everything we've been going through with this last year, um, like she was diagnosed October 21st of last year. And... Thought she had beat it, you know. Had went through all the chemo, radiation, all that stuff, and thought she did surgeries, and thought she'd beat it. When it came back, uh, beginning of the summer, so um, I'm not gonna make the podcast all about that. But uh, so my focus has just gone out the window. I mean, I'm one minute I'm drilling with my longbow, and the next minute I can't hit the target. I mean, so to be fair to the animals, in you know the game I'm hunting, I want to be as proficient as I can. Um, if I could hunt with a rifle out there, I'd go hunt with a rifle out there. But it's bow only. All, right, all the WMA's that I hunt are bow only. So to be fair to the game and fair to myself, you know, I picked up the compound this year because I'm not saying you can't, you shouldn't practice or you can't get off your game with that. I'm just saying I'm I'm way more efficient with that at this point in my life than I am with my longbow. So um, a lot of people may look at that and think I'm a sellout or whatever, but you know. I'm gonna be as proficient of a hunter as I can. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No,
2: right. uh, <clears throat> that's what kind of got me on that this year. Um, just like I, said, I just I'm not shooting good with longbows, so I'm I'm leaving it at home.
0: So yeah, no, I completely <laughs> understand that. Um, well, Randy one the one of the last things I want to ask, kind of r- before we wrap this up, is. You know, from this experience, especially from this season, you know, what are some of those things that you're going to try to continue forward and and build upon based off your experiences and everything that you've kind of put together so far this year?
2: Man, really just learning the areas. Um, I love, I've gotten to where I've loved scouting. You know, before I would, I wouldn't ever hardly scout, especially during in season. I wouldn't ever scout because I felt like I was wasting time. I wanted to be in a tree. Well, you know, somebody said that, I within the last week or two on one of your podcast, you know, the waste of time is sitting in a tree in an area that there's no deer. So just really learning the areas, um, not being afraid to be aggressive, you know, make a move. Um, you know, if I see deer 50, 60 yards from me going through a dip or something, I'm going to get down and climb, go over and climb a tree close to that dip, you know? Um, but just really learning the areas, breaking stuff down. Um, like, guess was it West Moy or who would we say said? Yeah, West Moy. Yep. West Moy said that, you will know, learn that area. You know, this spot over here close to my house, I know it pretty much like the back of my hand, but it's just one section of it. I don't know the whole of WMA. I know this one section of it like the back of my hand. And I'm getting outside of that and learning more areas, but it's just really breaking it down. I mean, and not being afraid to make a move, you know, get in there and get in the thick stuff. I mean, we've only got so many days to hunt i'm not going to waste my time sitting in a tree in an area where there's no deer if i climb a tree like i said earlier uh, that hunt the last week if i hadn't killed that deer by 10 o'clock i was getting down i was gonna spend the next two hours walking and just trying to figure figure it out you know and not don't get stuck in a rut you know we do the same thing here people say you know do this do this and then we go do the same thing we've been doing don't get stuck in that rut don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone and just move you know move around find the learn your trees learn the you know vegetation learn what they're eating learn the habitat you know just really break it down well randy also and map scouting i love mm-hmm. map scouting yeah i love to pull up topo maps um i had a buddy of mine uh he's probably four or five hours from here he was hunting a spot and he's like man i'm just not seeing any deer and i said man give me show me where you're going in at and i picked you know got a pin drop from him and i Zoomed out and I started picking out spots. Hey man, check this, check this, and he went in there first. Sit, kill a deer, not because of anything I did, but it's all stuff that somebody's taught me. You know, it's stuff that you know, from ninety percent of it's from your guests on your podcast. Stuff I've learned from them. You know, and just passing it on. You know, I tell everybody all the time: if you're not listening to Southern Outdoor the podcast,
0: you're wasting your time. So <laughs> that's a little, that's a little free plug for you. Yeah, so. absolutely appreciate that. <laughs> well, uh, Randy um you know I I can relate with you T- you talked about the scouting aspect earlier uh I, I've got a new found desire and this uh excitement for scouting which I mean oh, yeah. which I'll be honest you know I kind of lacked the last couple of years and really a lot of it has done because of my work previously what I was doing saying so busy that it, it felt like it was one of those things like you know we talked about a, I think it was one of the last episodes um within the last week or two um that there had been in the last two, three seasons with me and my sales job that, I mean, there may be one, maybe two days a month I would be able to hunt. And it's kind of funny, you know, helping run in a, a hunting podcast. I'll only be able to hunt that little uh, amount of time, yeah. but uh, it made it where like scouting was not fun because if it was scouting, like I was doing a lot of stuff off maps and still having success going based off maps, but it was a little bit more kind of not necessarily hanging and hoping, but it was a lot of, Going off, like, like Josh, Josh Strider talks about, finding the diversity, going in there, mm-hmm. and everything on the map looks good. Going in there, throwing a sit at it, and, you know, making trying to make it happen with a deer. But the, the last, you know, I guess it's been now two and a half, almost three weeks now, going full-time with the podcast, actually having time to go out and scout and thoroughly have enjoyed it because I don't feel like the pressure of, like, you know, I, I only have one day a week or one day every two weeks or one day every three weeks to go hunt. Um, to now, you know, I can spend a day or two or three days a week, whatever, and, yeah. and try to go that, scout. That's
2: where everybody gets in the, the rhythm of they feel like they're wasting their time because they're not sitting in a tree. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about, you know, the waste of time is sitting in a tree when there's no deer in the area. Yep.
0: And you know? that's like what Justin Wright talked about a couple weeks ago or last week. Uh, again, just you you got to confirm the deer there. I did that today, actually. Uh, hunted an area which, uh, Andrew was there, uh, not, I guess it was there day or two ago. And, um, you know, had had a pretty good hunt. I decided to hunt it with a little bit different wind. And, you know, I just had a, a weird feeling. I was like, man, there's something off about it, uh, whether it just, you know, a little excess pressure or whatever. And I decided to uh, get down, change setups and, and decided, like, hey, we're just going to turn this into a big scout mission and did a two and a half yeah. yeah. mile loop and come to find out that it's all compared to another area I scouted in this, you know, same general, say within a five mile stretch just the the deer sign was so bleak compared to like some of the other stuff I'd found. Uh, yeah. you know, there's deer there, but it's just like, you know, the, the lack of bucks on, yeah, I was finding some tracks, but no real big tracks. Uh, not a ton of even sign from does. Like it seemed like just a couple real small doe groups in there. And we're right now getting into the rut, uh, where we're at. Um, so it, it kind of changed my perspective, but again, if it, you know, was me, Four weeks ago, and this happened. I would have never done that because I would have sat the whole time on stand and then left yep. and be like, "Oh, I didn't see any deer, whatever." You don't.
2: You don't learn much in a sitting in a stand.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, you just you might see deer traveling through an area or whatever, but you're not learning a whole lot sitting in a stand. But boots on the ground is where you're learning. I mean, you're learning. Well, why did the deer go this way or why did the deer go that way? You know. Um, And another thing, I'll tell you, I'll tell everybody: if you got a hunting partner that you trust to. You know, not mess up your areas. That'll put in the time and effort to do things the right way. Man, that's gold. You know, my cousin Tommy, his first year ever to bow hunt was last year. I built him a longbow for his birthday the previous year, and he practiced all year long. And uh, I helped him out. Well, actually, man, I put the guy on the X. He'll, he'll tell everybody, man, if you killed that deer, because I pinpointed a spot to him. I've never been into it. <laughs> told him, go up this drainage. And, you know, around here, a lot of our drainage is, uh you'll have trail heads right at the right at the tip of that drainage and I said go up there and sit at the, at the head of that drainage and I said there'll be a good trail there I guarantee you and he climbed a tree and killed a nine point last year but he's gung-ho he's just as gung-ho as I am he's younger than I am so that helps a lot but uh he's just as gung-ho as I am as far as putting in the effort you know we're going in places you know the spot where I killed that bigger buck like I said I had to get out and drag five times to get to that spot last year this year everything has changed I only to get out and drag three times, but still who's going in two and a half miles and getting out and dragging three times around log jams to get to a spot. I tell him all the time, dude, there's somewhere on this WMA that nobody goes mm-hmm. and that's where I'm going. So, but yeah, having a good hunting partner helps cause he'll, he was hunting tonight, and he texted me a minute ago. I haven't read the text. He was hunting tonight, and he's telling me information about where he was hunting and what he saw and what the train was like and all that, and we use that back and forth. You know, I'll tell him where I'm at, what I'm doing, what it looks like, what's working, what's not, and share that information, and it, it saves you a lot of a lot of groundwork. <clears throat>
0: yeah, absolutely. That's something that uh, me and Andrew and Michael has been doing the last – uh, three, four, five years. And it helps out a ton. We've talked about that on the podcast a little bit too, about the idea and the concept of, of man days. And a man day is if you have two guys hunting, so you and your buddy are hunting one day, that's two man days. And the more man days you can have charted and kind of checked off, the more opportunities you're figuring out what's happening. And that's the biggest thing for us too, is when we're all hunting separate, uh, you know, on say, you know, a Saturday or Sunday or something like that. Um, uh, you know, we there's three of us out there, which uh, I actually got to take that back because Michael can't hunt weekends <laughs> with his work. <laughs> he works weekends, but say like you know it's during of the week, whatever. And we you know we're all out there hunting. We can get three different perspectives of what's happening, what you know, what the movement was like. Was there any kind of pattern with you know deer sightings and and all that kind of stuff? And you just learn so much more when you have some body or a couple guys you can share stuff with, where mm-hmm. you all are like minded, you all have each other's backs, you know. I'm one of those kind of guys, you know, I'll respect, you know, absolutely respect somebody's spot, you know, quote, unquote, is, you know, if they find an area, it's theirs. Um, And, you know, I'm here to help out however I can. But I'm one of those guys. mm -hmm. I'm
2: sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry.
0: Well, I was going to say, you know, I'm also one of those kind of guys. If I find something like the area I found, I scout. I say I found, I scouted uh, this past Saturday. Uh, I told Andrew, hey, like, dude, you need to go check this out. And because yeah. all the sign I found, I, I couldn't hunt. And I was like, dude, you just need to go out there, you know, take the gun, go out there. And uh, he went out there and had a run in with an absolute giant. Uh, and yeah. just just <laughs> didn't shoot it, <laughs> which we'll talk about on, a, on probably one, on one Monday's episode. <clears throat> that's, that's what I was going to say a second ago. You
2: know, if it's somebody you can trust, yep. yeah, I'll tell Tommy, I'll share pin drops with him. And he's the only person I do that with. I'll share pin drops with him. I'll tell him, man, you know, I saw deer here, I saw deer there. We'll pick spots and I'll share stuff with him and tell him, man, I can't hunt two trees at the same time. You know, he gets off, he's off on Friday through Sunday. So there's sometimes that I have to work on the weekend. We have concrete or whatever's going on and I can't get away and we'll discuss strategy and I'll send him to one of my spots or he'll go try a new spot. He sent me to, he's shared stuff that he's found that i've gone and hunted and sat in the same deer you know and if it's somebody you can trust you don't mind sharing that info because i would much rather him go out there and kill a 10 point or you know whatever 150 inch deer than somebody i don't know mm-hmm. you know so i don't mind sharing that infor- information with somebody i trust
0: so. yep absolutely well uh rainy kind of wrap us up uh i want you to be able to plug and we'll give you the opportunity to plug your uh your uh I guess bow making i mean you know some of your i guess custom bows that y'all make i mean is that something that's kind of somewhat commercial is like someone can reach out to you if they want you know potentially oh, something yeah. made uh um, yeah yeah how uh, can, i got a, i
2: got a couple more orders this last week so uh, how can guys um,
0: follow along with that and, and and reach out to you if they're interested in you know some of the bows you make
2: uh just primal tech bows on facebook p-r-i-m-a-l-t-e-c-h bows on facebook um look me up give me a like uh we build. build custom longbows recurves different lengths different models you know one piece two piece three piece i'm i'm the only bowyer in the world that makes a four piece design and if somebody wants to get into that we'll share more about that later um right now it's kind of part-time on the bow making because with the situation with my wife this last year i've taken on more concrete jobs just because the i can make more money quicker with that so but i still make them um I have a you know, waiting list, you know, whatnot. We do all kinds of exotic woods, horn overlays. I mean, it's it's all legit. So, if anybody wants to look it up, give me a like, you know, follow me or whatever. If you're looking for a traditional bow, you know, hit me up on Facebook and or messenger or something, and we'll we'll talk more. So,
0: Awesome. Well, Randy, I appreciate you coming on for this week's episode. I appreciate the listeners, again, following along as well. You know, if you're like Randy and you go out there and have success using tips and tactics and stuff you learn from guests on the podcast, you know, shoot us a message. You can shoot us a message on Facebook or Instagram. I think, uh, Randy, you reached out to us on Facebook. Um, yeah, but uh, just shoot us a message let us know you know what's worked for you and maybe send some photos over and w- maybe we select you for a future episode of the Southern Outdoorsman listener success story but thank you Randy for coming on and best luck to you for the rest of your season well guys I appreciate it I hope I
2: didn't talk in circles too much so
0: <laughs> thanks again everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman and thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast also to follow along with us make sure you check us out on facebook instagram and youtube and if you'd like to support the show you can go to patreon.com forward slash the southern Outdoorsman. until next time y'all stay southern
1: Hey everybody, this is Kyle veet host of the Ozark Podcast, a show where we sit down with outdoorsmen of the Ozark Mountains region to talk all things hunting and fishing. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts on everything from bear hunting, to fishing for smallmouth and trout, and discussing big questions like what happened to all the quail in the southeast. If you're enjoying this show, then I know you'll enjoy the Ozark Podcast. You can listen to the show on all podcasting platforms and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.